and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, my buddy Josh Zucker is here. Uh, he is a member of the band Fucked Up, the band I also play in. Also a member of the band Youngblood. I think that's it for Josh's bands. I don't think he's done any other things apart from those two. Oh, Age of Descent crew. More on that in one second. But first, if you would like to get in touch with me, head over to the email address turned at a punk podcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and normally guest booker extraordinaire, but I did not need any help with this. But thank you, Tristan, for all your hard work for the show. Um, and he will get the message to me. You can also find the show on Instagram at turned out a punk and also on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash turned out a punk. I have a Twitter and Instagram at left for Damien. If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it. You can also head over to turned out a punk.com and grab a t-shirt or head over to patreon.com slash turned out a punk and check out footnotes and, and video versions of some of the episodes and all sorts of stuff over there on the Patreon, and huge thank you to people that do do that. It means a ton to me. Thank you for doing that. Uh, and speaking of support, this thing is sponsored by the fine folks at Vans, who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, we like what you do, just don't do it in your own pocket, and they help me cover the cost of this thing, and for that, I am very grateful. Thank you to them for that. Uh, I play in a band called Fucked Up that Josh plays in, so this kind of spills into the actual episode itself. We have a bunch of records that all came out at once. It feels like all three vinyl versions have hit at the same time. We have Epics in Minutes coming out on the incredible Get Better Records, which is a singles compilation of early 7-inches that we did way back when. Get Better Records is also putting out our demo. The fuck, I don't think we had a name for it. Oh, we, Mike had a weird name for it back then, but I think we just referred to it as The Demo. Uh, they're going to be doing a limited edition 7-inch pressing of that, and it's a benefit for an incredible organization called the Toronto Indigenous Harm Reduction. Uh, it, so check out this group. Check out some of the work they're doing. Very happy to uh, help contribute. And so pick up that while you can. I think it's almost gone. Uh, there's also a reissue of David Comes to Life, the 10th anniversary of that. Matador Records has done that. It's on yellow vinyl. There's also like a, a bonus 12-inch, which is coming out with singles that came out around that record. And finally, Year of the Horse on Tank Crimes Records has finally come out, the hour-and-a-half-long song that we did all last year. More info on that at the end of the show because it leads into the next episode that's coming up. But today on the show, my friend Josh Zucker. Josh has seen me. At my worst, he's seen me at my best. He's been my co-worker for the last 20-some-odd years. Holy shit. Uh, we have spent hours and hours and days and weeks and months at this point together traveling around, playing and fucked up. Uh, I first met Josh. I remember seeing him walking down the street with his buddies when they were just like little, little kids. We grew up in the same neighborhood, as you'll hear on the show that's coming out, but... Yeah, Josh has always been, I don't know, the kind of the the conscience of fucked up, you know, like Sandy is is the the organizational brain of the band. Mike is the creative energy of the band. Jonah is the the raw musical talent of the band. And Josh is just the 
I don't know, the, the, the soul of the band, I guess is the best way to describe it. Uh, he is someone who, yeah, as I said, I've, been, I've known for a very long time. You know, I could just spend the entire episode doing a monologue about Josh, but you don't want to hear that. So I am going to shut up now, uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy Josh Zucker on Turn Out a Punk. Josh, thank you for coming to Turn Out a Punk. What up, Damien? This one's a weird one, buddy. I've never, uh, I don't know, for this, for you, interviewing you, I think was always the one I was most excited to do, but also the one that I thought was going to be kind of the weirdest for some reasons, because we've known each other longer than I think I've known anyone else in the band. In. Oh, Mike, I knew Mike probably a little bit longer, but well, I am. The, I am the rarest member of fucked up. You are the rarest. And you're like my little. Well, that's not true. I heard you on the Matador podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's this is not my first podcast this month. I'll, I'll say no, that. it's not. It's not. But and you listen to a lot of podcasts, too, which is also, you know, I don't know if you listen to this one, though. We've never talked about this one. It hasn't come up. Um, You know, it's in the ro- it's in the rotation. There's a lot. There's a lot out there. You know, there's a lot. There's, There's a lot, lot, a lot of hours in the day. Well, I think I know some of the ones you've listened to, <laughs> but in case you don't remember, they all start off the same way, which is Josh. How did you get in a punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah, I, I think, I think I have kind of a boring story, which is uh, like it was sixth grade and my friends who both had like older brothers were into skateboarding and uh, would just watch these skate videos, like Thrasher videos. And, you know, they always used to have pop punk bands on the soundtrack. And it was like the name of the band song. And like that, you know, up on the screen, like as a music video, it's like, that's how we discovered music. And then it was like, they just brought that to our neighborhood. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about our neighborhood, Riverdale, Toronto, where uh, we met, we met a lot of people. So that was, that was, that was really, yeah, it was like, just, just, just by osmosis, my friends who were into skateboard. I never skateboarded myself, um, but pretty quickly got into stuff that way. And then I just had like me and two friends um, who every weekend, like when we were 12, we would just start going to the record store. So like we we found Full Blast in Toronto and, uh, and we just go there every weekend and like buy a CD. And that was that was me getting into punk. How did you find out about Full Blast? Was it through us? Like, was it's a good question because, um, uh, I remember like a year or two after that, I was hanging out with Chris and, uh, he was no Richie. Oh, Chris Richie. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, he was like, we should go rotate. Like what's rotate. He's like, you never been to rotate this. So I had just a very narrow, like it was just, I, we just knew about this one record store. I don't even remember how we found out about it, but, but Simon Harvey like ran a record label worked there. And he was like, you know, the classic record store guy that was like very intimidating, but, but nice. And he like, um, he gave me, he he gave me a very pivotal uh, uh, piece of my early collection, which was the victory sampler on tape, (laughs) (laughs) which had like earth crisis, blood lit, um and it was like the victory record studio integrity Warzone, and uh and he was just like i guess got the sampler sampler for free in the store i was like what is this garbage um (laughs) i'll give it to this fucking 12 year old kid um 
so I listened to that a lot and and yeah it was like samplers and like a lot of like comps you know like label comps mm -hmm. well I guess we should I should like contextualize this because we grew up in this neighborhood called Riverdale which is like a fairly affluent progressive neighborhood uh politically progressive neighborhood like votes left and and has always voted in sort of NDP historically um in in Toronto where there was just like a shit ton of kids like I look around my neighborhood now and there are a lot of kids you know we're you know and I'm in your neighborhood I think there's a lot of kids too because we live pretty close together but I don't know just something about Riverdale like just all of a sudden I don't remember that many kids being around me growing up but then all of a sudden you know in the late 90s I look around and there's all these like teenagers and like you're you know you guys are preteens but there were like just yeah. so many of us yeah I don't know I guess I guess neighborhoods kind of go in waves um you know they kind of attract attract people of certain ages they have kids yeah and we just definitely seemed like we came up at a time when there was there was a there was a lot of kids but I think our neighborhood in particular just like our neighborhood got into punk like because yeah. you'd go to you, when you started to go to shows and like hardcore shows you know it's not that big of a scene and there's no other like neighborhood representation really that I can remember like Riverdale was this <laughs> thing it didn't last that long it was like very kind of I, it was I like one it, summer I think it was like, yeah I was like I was gonna say like a couple of years maybe um but it definitely felt like that because um, like then it broke off and they were like yeah there was like still like a strong Riverdale representation for a couple years but there was that one period where like yeah like you go to a show and there'd be like 20 30 kids from Riverdale all standing yeah. around and then also you had the kids from the beaches that were starting to come to shows around that time too and then I guess yeah the beaches maybe was the other neighborhood um I don't know size size which was bigger I did have rdhc at hotmail.com I don't know if you remember yeah. that yeah no absolutely and 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 <laughs> there was like there was like mad Riverdale like pride I remember Age of Descent crew was our band that we did which was going to be like our path of resistance style band <laughs> yeah yeah I think that's uh, another thing is you and me have like this like pre fucked up musical history together because we were in kind of like sibling bands, short-lived sibling bands. I was in this band called Starting Block, which morphed into Promise Kept. Uh, and by morphed into, I mean, just had the name change. And you were in, what was it? Was it originally called Youngblood? Yeah, I don't think we had a name before that. Okay. Youngblood. And then it had a second I, name, right? Um, I don't think so. It was always Youngblood. I we didn't know, that. but we didn't know about Youngblood Records at the time. We found out about that after. Yeah yeah it was before we heard like it might have been predated well maybe they had put it like the blade crash or seven inch but the young blood records was starting at the exact same time as young blood the band was kind of starting yeah it probably was before us and we just like didn't know about it i remember finding out about it after but yeah we, young young blood was was just like friends in the neighborhood he was like sixth and seventh grade we practiced in our friend's garage um and i sang and I just had like a, I, I, I actually think I, I permanently damaged my voice because I was going through puberty and I had a, I originally started the band and I had like a, like a, I think a low growl. And then like, I think I damaged my vocal cords because then, then it turned into like a high pitched thing, which wasn't intentional. It's just, I don't know. It's like, I don't think you're supposed to like scream in a band, like when you're just going through puberty.
No, it's like a baseball player like going out and trying to throw fastballs before their shoulder fully develops. Like you were like <laughs> you had the most insane vocals out of any like to this day. I, I kinda want I gotta we gotta get that dat uh transferred at some point so we can listen to the Youngblood tracks on that. Cause I remember your vocals just being like insane. Like you guys and there was also so much love for Youngblood. Like you guys came out and we're like the we're like the most beloved Toronto hardcore band immediately. I, I, yeah, I think we, we all looked very little on stage, and so yes. it was just like you know it, it was because I know now because I've like done shows where we invite like the little kid band, and it's like everybody who's you know in their twenties like just loves it. Like it's just very fun to watch. Like like one or two times, <laughs> you're like, okay, you guys suck, <laughs> which I think was the case for us. Um, but we only played three shows, so. Um, it was only three shows. Yeah, it was, it was a long stretch of time, but it was only three shows. Wow. I guess I saw you guys a lot because we, we shared a drummer in Andy stars. So we would like, uh, we would, we practice together. Like we would have practices like trade off in practices sometimes. So I, I don't even think we ever played a show with Andy. We played like for some reason. So we played our first show is at this place called club Shanghai, which is on Spadina. It was an afternoon matinee and we, we showed up like at like three hours before the show started. I, I don't remember why. Um, and it's something like, kids do, it comes up on the show all the time as like, when, yeah, as a little kid, just have show to up show. early. Yeah. You have to show up way too early. And then, and then the next show we played, which is probably the biggest show we played was opening for shutdown at the Elma combo. That was a matinee too. Maybe. Yeah. And then, and then we played a show to show at who's Emma. Um, and that's it. I thought Three the shows. show, the show you played at who's M was that with like drift or, or born dead icons, even maybe like early, early born dead icons. I feel like it was all local bands, but I, I could remember be you guys playing. Like, I remember being kind of jealous because I was like the dumpy, like going through puberty teenager versus these like adorable young kids playing mosh metal. And you guys would get a lot of shows. Like you were supposed to play with Twenty Five to Life one time. I don't. I don't remember. I remember Josh. <laughs> I carried yeah. the grudge. Yeah, clearly. That's why I had to steal your job and fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, then that that was how kind of what how I was like. It's like I am a singer, but I I was learning to play guitar at that time, and I was, I was pretty pretty bad at it. And uh, um, you know, then that that continued. I was singing pretty bad at that. You were an amazing fun person. You were singing singing fucked up for like, you know, our prehistory first show, I guess. First two shows. Two shows. Yeah. Two or three. Uh definitely two, because there was the uh cost show uh where you guys played uh that was Alex McDonald's birthday party, I believe. And then you guys also played, I think, the panic show. We played. No, no, maybe that was the first me. show. The first show was at um, the place Planet Kensington. Planet Kensington. Was um, Christmas at Tux? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Christmas at Tux. Okay, and you and me got yeah. in the physical altercation. That's right. Kicked That's me right. in the nuts. I was trying to be a very like wild singer, which is funny. You know, I, I, that was just like it was pretty con- I, consciously. I was like, this is going to be my gimmick. I'm going to just be a crazy singer and like lash it at the audience, mm-hmm. which is like pretty easy for you know a skinny small kid to do but like but also 
skinny small kids like don't realize that they like can actually like hurt people slightly which and i think i like punched you or something yeah. and then you you slammed you like body slammed into the floor which is you know that wouldn't be the the, the last time you body slammed <laughs> yeah no, i think that's it, gonna be the last time the last time i did it was the last time from now on i promise no more body slams yeah. uh it was it was also the era like you and mike had gone and saw you guys had went to that chicago fest like the infamous chicago fest where no justice played and everything got like fucked up yeah. it was crazy right yeah i would do road trips with mike and actually i was on a road trip with mike in we we're in california and i traveled there separately and then but then he met we met up there and we were like met up in la and he brought with him a copy of the fucked up demo what, what would become the fucked up demo he's like hey uh i should probably play this for you and it was you singing he's like damien's singing in the band now and I remember, I remember being, I was so, I was like, this is so sick. And I was, he was like, you'll play guitar now. I was like, okay. I was worried. Cause, um, I guess I like, cause the, the, the deal was you went away, you had like a plan to just, you basically traveled all summer. You became like a traveler for a yeah. whole summer. I did. I did the like hitchhiking train hopping thing. Yeah. Which is, is wild because I think like, I don't know it must still go on now train hopping obviously but like i imagine it's getting harder and harder it's kind of like a dying art i imagine i don't really know i i think it's i think it's still a thing um but i'm not really connected to it yeah i mean just mean in terms of surveillance now being yeah, yeah. It is no for sure. That stuff, for sure it's it feels uh but like you you did it like for like a, a whole summer and through these two shows that mike really wanted to play and that's that's the only reason i'm in this band yep persistent mike <laughs> <laughs> so where did going back to you know getting into the the punk stuff and, and starting to go to these shows like you immediately got into hardcore you didn't really have like very much of a pop punk phase I, ha I had a pop no I had a pop punk phase like I was super my my first actual show was um Gob and another Joe at the Opera House which oh, is wow. like a an infamous Toronto venue that was pretty close to Riverdale but felt very far away at the time but it's like looking back it's like just so crazy close um to where we lived um yeah so that was that was my first show i had to leave like mid gob set like to get home on time or whatever um i don't remember if i got picked up or if i like walked home but uh but yeah i was really into them now i was like talking about uh, uh comps i was really into the fat records uh i think volume two yeah. and like cinema beer nuts was a big one for me so like i, I was super into pop punk but but pretty quickly transitioned into hardcore it's it's funny because like that another joe show gob show is like a huge show that was a key show that's like the one where i remember it being huge it was ginormous i think also us living close to the opera house was key in my parents allowing me to go to all all these shows because it was like it wasn't downtown it was just down the street basically and that that was definitely one where it felt like every boy in our neighborhood was there at that show yep yeah. yeah. every i think that was one of the ones where like that's where gob stayed at sandy's house afterwards and <laughs> I know that. and i went to uh ciut and co-hosted this radio thing with ed fox which ended up getting him kicked off the air and when jc asked me to come in and be his co-host and sandy to be his co-host and stuff like that like that's a key show like i, I look back on that show and you must have been like 10 i was i think i was i mean i don't know i i just remember being 12 for like all my first experiences 
sixth sixth grade, I think. I, I you but you must have been like young. I remember you being eleven. Like it's like the young blood starting and then another Joe Gob show. That's like a year <laughs> apart. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that see, see I, that shit. Mazen Rockers was also a huge uh, thing for like. I don't, I don't even remember how we learned about that. Someone probably just told us, but I would, I definitely, you know, would stay Sunday night, stay up 10 to 10 to midnight, listen to, listen to the shit out of that show. JC was like, politically, I thought he was like, so brilliant. And um, the music I remember I, it was like, always kind of hit and miss for me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely remember hearing you and Sandy on the show. That was like, you know, like another thing I think you brought up with Simon Harvey, like even though at times these people could be kind of like uh, an over the top kind of cliches of what people in record stores can be like with withholding information and things like that. Um, but at the other time, like he, he exposed us to great stuff. And I think Monster yeah. Rockers too, like having that, like if we didn't have that, it was just like CIUT. It, it, like, you know, I don't think us kids would have been into all the cool stuff we were into. No, definitely. And I, and I also remember he he tried to uh, he tried to stop us from getting into bad music. Like I had this very clear memory of uh, walking up to the counter at uh, at at Full Blast. And I, I put this DFL Dead Fucking Last CD on the counter. <laughs> Simon's like, "You don't want to buy this." Oh, and I was like, uh, "I was like, yes, I, I love do. that band." <laughs> and he's he's like he's like, "This is so bad." And, he, and I was like, "I want to get it anyways," and I bought it. <laughs> And like, I remember loving it at the time, but like, yeah. I can still hear those songs in my head. And I'm like, yeah, I think I know why you told me like, don't buy this. I think it was like a, a, a particularly bad record of theirs. I don't remember what one it was. I think it's also like, he is one of those people that has a very particular definition of punk and That's hardcore. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that was like, that was like, and also rotate this. It was the same thing at rotate this, you know, like you know, you had to to show and prove what you were into there. Like you had to defend it, your purchase right. when you bought this record. If yep. not, like, you know, they were gonna chew you chew you up, spit you out. Yeah, just classic mean record store people. What was the first show you went to that was like a hardcore show? Was that Sick of It All show? Yeah, maybe Sick of It All One King Down at Club Shanghai. Yeah. That I remember being a massive show that was uh super, super fun. Um, and then, yeah, what else? Um, like pretty quickly, like I think getting into hardcore for me wasn't even really about finding classic hardcore bands that I like. It was more like I just somehow found out about the kind of hardcore scene, mostly in the suburbs. And, uh, yeah, I just, they just had like this, this time where we would all, we take the go train out out of Toronto to like the suburbs like Oakville and Burlington. And our parents were always just like, I don't, I don't get it. Like why you're traveling from the city out to a YMCA in Oakville to see, but it was like, that's just where the scene was yeah. it was like very much a scene. And, uh, and then we just kind of glommed onto like, that's, that's, I don't know. That's where like the people who are our age that kind of look like us, I guess we're, we're doing music. Um, and it was hard and it was hardcore. It was like screaming, screaming hardcore. Well, so yeah, the, the hardcore scene had kind of like migrated out to the suburbs at that point. Like Toronto had a really strong punk scene, but it was very much like the market, you know, BFGs, Armed and Hammered, Dirty Bird, 
yeah. and, and it was all slightly older like we were all like yeah. younger kids and then we're like you're right like all the younger kid bands were like you know the time the big bands were grade confine mm-hmm. um I'm trying to think who else was like popping in the suburbs at that point but it was uh it was kind of post all the hamilton stuff happening for the first you know the chokehold and the left for dead stuff yeah that i i definitely missed um missed that wave of stuff and i i didn't get into that music until later i i actually a big band that i got into was um i guess the swarm which yeah. so that would have been post left for dead and that was that was actually kind of like my coming back into the t- a toronto scene so i think it was like there was a suburb scene for a little bit it was like confine and avarice and uh those type of bands and then and then the swarm happened and that's like kind of coalesced around who's emma as the space and that was like the next kind of phase when i met mike at who's emma and became good friends with him and then that just uh, that became my scene basically whatever bands mike was booking yeah the swarm were huge the swarm re you know like you're saying they put the flag in toronto and it's funny because they were all people that were part of the suburban scene and basically mm-hmm. they all fled the suburban scene and all moved downtown right like Chris I, and, and i Leopard. guess were they just like 19 and 20 and just coming to toronto like I guess oh, they would have been. How Chris, old were they? Chris would have been in his mid twenties, I think. Yeah. Same with Kyle, you know. But Kyle never moved to Toronto. He always stayed in Burlington, um, and I think eventually moved out to Hamilton. Um, and, but the rest of the guys, yeah, they were just like moving to Toronto. I think some of them were going to U of T because they all lived at that house, right? Like, one forty eight. Mm. What street is that? Barden. Barden. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was like the punk house in Toronto. Yeah, I remember that house. That was uh that was the coolest house. I remember getting invited there and just being like it was at the Weaker Then show. Were you at that Weaker Then show the first time they played Toronto and Who's Emma's basement? I don't think so, no. Okay. I would have thought that would have been right when you were going to shows, but it would have been right, it would have been right in my alley because I was I was definitely a fan. It was their first show before they had anything out. Um, but it was the same day Heckle and uh jughead's revenge had played at the elmo oh wow and, and then at who's emma this show was going on but at the opera house in riverdale there was a big ska fest and so the choice was like where do you stand mm. yeah i never i i did like snuff i remember a lot that was like maybe the most ska band and they're not ska at all I don't, I, for some, why I always had them like in the ska. Cause they have yeah, horns. A, I guess cause they have horns. That's yeah. what I mean. That was the most ska thing that I, I never got into like real big fish or any of that kind of stuff. Do you like Jersey? I think I like Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. But I think they kind of got the pass because of the grade thing. I, I liked grade more than yeah. Jersey. Yeah. That was, it was a weird moment where grade and Jersey were kind of like both popping off in different scenes. If, I do remember thinking like, like these guys are like breaking into like mainstream Canadian music. And yeah. I have, I have no idea now if that was actually true. There were like, cause, cause Strombo loved them and would play them on the punk show all the time. And, uh, you know, like they were, they, before that they were like on, Oh, what's it called? I can't believe I'm blanking on it now, but the one that like Fallout Boy and all those bands were on out of Florida. I'll fix this in the intro. But uh that uh 
that label, they were on that label, like as an early release and things like that. And they were kind of like, you know, getting interest from like fat records at the same time that grade was getting interest from like revelation and victory. And there was like a whole, where's grade going to sign? Right. I remember, remember right. that being a big thing. Where did they sign? Uh, victory so, in the end. They did sign victory. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They did like three, yeah. four records on victory, I guess. Yeah. That's a, that's a big deal. That was the time. So where'd you kind of go from, like, how'd you start getting involved in more of the political side of things in Toronto? Um, it was like, it was through, there was, it was definitely through, it was like Who's Emma, which was the, like record store venue named after like Emma Goldman, Toronto anarchist. And so Who's Emma was like where Mike would book shows. So I just started going to it as a venue and, it was like always the worst record store. It was kind of like a punchline, like how bad their record collection was. Cause it was like, they would just order records from the heart attack or like ebullition distro or whatever. And it was just like this whole crop of bands that just were bad or like just didn't sell. Like, so it was like way less polished than like a rotate this or a full blast. Like, yeah, you know, it's like anarchist co-op store. And people um, steal from it. Like people robbed it all yeah. the time and like, <laughs> All sorts of shit. And like, yeah, so it was like, it's funny because like, you think back about all the record stores you were in and all the records you passed by that are now worth like thousands of dollars. I have no regrets about not grabbing some records from Who's Emma. There's like nothing there. So like I was, I was into, I was into punk and then, you know, I was like a, always kind of like a nerdy kid. So I like, I liked zines a lot because I liked reading and, and I started reading I don't know, like part of it was probably reading like Heart Attack and reading like Maximum Rock and Roll and the columns. And and then when I met Mike, he was a few years older than me and like in university and he was kind of getting into activism. And then I went in high school to an alternative high school where there was a lot of like lefty activist kids and and so like when I was like 16 or 17, I joined like this anti-capitalist, anti-poverty organization in Toronto. And uh, and I, I almost kind of like turned my back on music in a way at that point. And then, I, and then I came back to it, but I was like, okay, I'm done with music. And like, I'm just fully focused on like being an activist guy. That school you went to, there's like a real punk tradition too when you go back there like i only because bear from uh, uh hallucination uh went to really you went there oh, yeah wow. and has a lot of fond memories of it and and talks really highly of it and talks about he went there with joel fisher they were so oh, wow. they were like best friends back then and yeah it was uh, it was awesome for me at the time it was like a very you know i i had actually had some teachers there who like gave me like super radical like like radical feminist political education, a couple of the courses in that high school. And, uh, and it was great. It was like, we didn't really have to do much homework. The classes were good. They were like university lecture caliber classes and the kids were all, it, it had kind of started to be, I was like part of like the gentrifiers of that high school a little bit. Um, but, uh, it was still like an interesting mix of people from my perspective, I think at the time. Um, yeah, well, I, you weren't like you were part of that wave, but you were obviously much more of the mind of the school. But the rest of the kids that came in, 
around you, which would be my brother's friends. <laughs> I don't know how. Many no, I like. I th- I think originally the school was like you know teen parents and you know kids who like could not make it at a normal high school because they just couldn't deal because like coming from you know whatever rough backgrounds and uh and yeah and then it it, i like i I really feel like kind of got gentrified like kind of just like slacker kids which i feel like like a slacker like different kind of kids were like oh this is a cool it just became like a cool school to transfer to Mm -hmm. um yeah i think that's the story about most alternative schools unfortunately and and now in toronto um they're trying to kill you know like that's the Mm. big you know like the, the board of education doesn't really want them or, or whoever the ministry of education, I guess, doesn't want it. So they want to get rid of this thing. And it, it sucks because like you're saying, there are kids, like obviously it becomes trendy and it becomes cool for some kids to go there, but for other kids, yeah. Like they can't function in a normal yeah. school. Yeah. They need yes. it. Yeah. And it was fun. It was like, you know, I, I think I also, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a real community, you know, like that word I think is like bastardized a lot, but like, it was, it was definitely like a community school and, um, you know, there was a lounge, the kids would just like hang out in the lounge. And like, I remember, uh, uh, I experienced nine 11 there. I was in high school and like, we watched like nine 11 happen that morning. And they had like a lot of like crazy conversations in the lounge, you know, yeah. that day. So it was, it was, it was a, it was a cool place to be. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, you know, at the time I, I was like, when my brother was going there and all these people were going there, I, I didn't understand it. But now having kids, especially kids that are involved in alternative schools, like I'm like, oh, that seems like a really amazing school. And especially, yeah, talking to Bear and finding out, you know, Jolly Tambor- Tambourine Man, the band was from there. You know, hmm. there's just so many punk bands that kind of came into the school too. So got yeah. a lot of respect for the Eagle Nook. Big anniversary last year, right? I don't know. I, 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 I do remember hearing they had like a big anniversary but I didn't, I didn't get my invite in the mail kind of had some uh can't talk about it but uh there's some <laughs> so, some shit went down at that school and uh yeah we, don't, we can't talk uh, about I'm a, it i'm a little persona non grata i think in the alum alumnus community now you're the you're you're one of the few judo nominees not invited back for alumni day <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right um so you know uh, i guess like we should talk also about the zine on the banks of the Tumid River. Because um, I guess you, you started getting super into graphic design punk or or like, does I don't want to say graphic design, design punk, because it was like about radical design too. Like, it's amazing flipping through these zines where there's like it, really interesting articles that you're writing. And once again, you're super young doing this thing. So how did that whole start? Um, I, I, got, I got really into the zine culture and um, I just... I just started aping it. I had, I had like a, a desktop computer. I like pirated a bunch of, um, Adobe software, like Photoshop and InDesign and just like figured out how to do it and just got really, really into that. I just would get, like, I would just solicit like people in, in hard, you know, in the, in this scene to like write, write a column for my zine. Um, and, uh, and I would just write stuff myself and lay, and lay it out and then, like I think I like got it printed and I was just selling at shows and like I just got into being like the guy who shows up at, at shows with like I also had like a distro for a minute. It was like 
just buy buy stuff and be the guy like setting up the distro and selling my zine at the shows what what distro what, what was your distro i don't think I, I maybe this was the year i was living in england because i don't remember your distro i can't remember if it had a name but i would basically <laughs> i would basically just buy like two to five copies of something and like try to get it at a wholesale rate and then just like mark it up like three dollars and sell it at shows and it was like because i then i got really into like this hydra head scene which was like like metal core like tech metal this kind of stuff and uh and i don't know it was it, it really was a like you can't get this kind of stuff in, in in toronto so i would just like order it and then that was my distro and uh i would just like order directly from some labels that like didn't seem to have stuff in the stores in toronto um and sell it but uh yeah well that was the thing it's like once again as we talked about how there was like very defined tastes in toronto like you were into like kill by death punk japanese hardcore new york hardcore you know, there's just like, you know, these stores were curated, but you're right. There was certain stuff that like they were not carrying. Like I remember you had, you had a record with like sticks glued to the cover and whose Emma wasn't going to carry that record and, and rotate wasn't going to carry that record and full blast wasn't carry going to carry that record. So yeah, I would, I would, buy, distro. yeah, I would do my distro. Like I bought stuff on eBay. Um, and yeah, like also the graphic design stuff, like I was really into like the internet, like I would just like find websites that looked cool and i would like look at the source code and like that's how i originally got into programming which is like what i do for a living now and uh yeah so like that was it was all kind of of a piece it was like music like the kind of thing before blogs which was like people's personal websites that they would just design and i like did a lot of those um and then that kind of transitioned into the scene did you watch that QAnon documentary on hbo yeah do you see that org chart where, where they go back and they kind of trace this thing and it all goes back to like something rotten.com or, you know, it's like one of those like face yeah, the yeah. death.com type websites. Yeah. And it's like amazing to think about how that early internet was like, that, there's just like so much stuff that you were able to kind of do and where that has gone both positively and very negatively in the case of the QAnon stuff, but it's amazing to kind of think yeah. where this troll culture, where graphic design, like all this stuff is kind of starting at the same point. Like it's like a real cultural impetus moment in the late nineties, early two thousands when internet totally. was finally accessible to all of us. And all the horrible dynamics that exist on the internet today, they yeah. all existed back then. It was just like, but like think, thank fucking God that stuff isn't still up, you know, like it was just like the message boards, whatever. It's just like, I, I, I think they're all just like lost in the sands of time, but yeah, the internet sucks and saving that stuff is horrible. Yeah. The internet was, it was interesting to see it at the time because it was like, no one took that shit seriously. And I think that's the thing that changed is like, normal people and this is going to sound like really uh i don't know patronizing but like i found like normal people started getting on mm. and all this stuff that we were kind of like playing with and and probably wrongly playing with in, in a lot of cases were suddenly exposed to like people that didn't necessarily have the experience or the 
cultural reference points to kind of deal with it. And it's interesting to kind of see like where this stuff's been taken. I think there was still back then though, like you, you rarely, you didn't as much have a virtual community that didn't also have the like IRL, like part of it that was big. Like we had like our hard, the hardcore message board, yeah. but like all, yeah. most of those people you had met or like you would meet, but then it kind of drifted into just like, you know, I don't know. You, you just say horrible shit to people because you're behind a keyboard and you don't ever expect to meet them or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think that's the, uh, and I think live journal communities and certainly those big international message boards, when those things started popping off, like Viva La Vinyl and mm. all the offshoots of that in the kind of like early aughts, I guess, um, like that, that whole world i think you did see start seeing this sort of proliferation of like online communities that you know weren't ever going to meet oh like mm -hmm. and look at what makeoutclub.com like that mm. it, it's wild to kind of think about like <laughs> that as like being the the birth of social media yeah and i i don't know i i was i've always been like like never had like a social media profile really like back then like never had a myspace never had never was into any of those sites always like way too shy to even like create profiles and like post <laughs> i'm still that i'm still that way online i don't i don't, I, don't I, I lurk but i don't post on anything yeah it's uh especially now where you realize like all you're doing is is feeding someone else's content machine Mm -hmm. But now all of our contents are so tied to these content machines that we're, yeah. we're kind of trapped. It's, it's, it's weird. Cause like, we don't need this stuff. Like all, we could go back to the old way of doing things, you know, making zines and, and, you know, we don't have to service these platforms. We go back to try and steal from Kinko's. Like Kinko's is gone now. So we'd have to steal from. Like, oh yeah. That was actually, cause, cause I was trying to think like, how did I make these? Cause the first zine was. The first issue of that zine was all stolen from Kinko's. So it's like Kinko's no, used to. The first one's on newsprint. No, no, that's, oh, second no, that's one. the second one. No, this the is the second one I did right. get professionally printed on newsprint yeah. and yeah. it just like left your hands inky and disgusting. The first one is actually better quality in a way because it's printed on like 11 by 17 paper and then like state, I stapled them all. Yeah. So it's like laborious, but, um, but yeah, Kinko's just had these little counters you that stick them. in the copier. You numbered them all 203 out of 300. I would, and I would just, you'd, you'd go to Kinko's, you'd spend literally like six hours there photocopying like thousands of pieces of paper. And then you just drop the counter on the floor so that it messed up the numbers yes. and you'd bring yeah. it up to the counter and they'd be like, sir, how many, what's, what's the count on this? I can't read it. And you'd be like, uh, 14. <laughs> <laughs> and then you pay them like a dollar fifty yeah. and leave, and they just you'd be leaving with like a duffel bag full of paper. This is um. Do you still the name of your column in the scene? By the way, is rocket in your pocket? Rocket, <laughs> awesome. Oh fuck! And uh, your uh, your favorite films of this year were American Beauty, American <laughs> Movie, Run Little Run, and The Sixth Sense. These <laughs> guys. <laughs> the people doing columns uh are amazing chris callahan has a column <laughs> about how he's preparing for the millennium in this thing uh there's an amazing column also from uh oh, I, I won't even read the names of all the columnists you have two columns it looks like uh, me personally 
Well, yeah. yeah, I was I was the I was the publisher and editor. So, you know, like I think I probably did an intro. Yeah. I did my own column and then Rock maybe in my out- pocket. And then maybe an outro. <laughs> and then you do an outro. You do do an outro. You have the last column. <laughs> but I think it's because it's alphabetical. Yes. Because it goes uh Matt Rennick, then Ian Payne, then Jeremy Lindy, then Shannon Cooper, then Josh Zucker. Oh no, Shannon Cooper's out of I don't know how you're doing this, Josh. I don't know how you're organizing That's these. So columns. so weird. You can just named like, anyways, yeah. Oh, I love this scene. This is actually like the other thing that was amazing is that this is like one of the best done zines out of any because I have everyone in fucked up zines here beside me. Yeah, and yeah. yours is definitely the most readable in every way from oh, layout to to uh, to actual content. <laughs> Um, and actually there's vegan recipes in here too. So I gotta, I gotta use this. Gotta oh shit. <laughs> so, but yeah, then those, you went to, those don't go bad. Those <laughs> vegan recipes don't go bad. Nope. Nope. What? And then you went to newsprint for the next issue, right? Yeah. I must've just been like, um, not, I don't know. didn't have the energy to do the, um, to the Kinko's thing or something, but I remember like being at a newsprint, like factory, like picking up, like. 20 cardboard boxes full of these things and i still have probably like five or six full boxes at my parents house um that uh, they bug me about every once in a while can i buy a box off you <laughs> yeah i'm gonna buy a box off you and put them in the uh turned out a punk store and awesome. uh and i think that would finally give on the banks of tuman river it's yeah, the, that'll, be uh, a, that'll be a great patreon gift yeah exactly and then we get to now this is what I've been building up to because I think this yeah. is a key, and we never we don't talk about this, you know, very often. You you forgot completely about this, but on the banks of the Tumid River, issue number three was a split zine with the primitivist <laughs> rhetoric issue number one, <laughs> which was Mike's uh, uh, zine, and this okay. is where you guys, this is essentially fucked up like so just 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 the notion of a split a split scene. <laughs> what the fuck is that well because it's like typical mike where you know like mike and my me are the same way where you can't get shit out yourself so you have to like piggyback <laughs> on someone else's shit <laughs> okay so what's in that this is it, is, is it literally split like the first half is mine the second half is his oh hell no i actually remember going with you guys because the night I think it was the night before we left for that ruination tour that you, me, and Nathaniel and Lisa just <laughs> like road dogged it with them for. Yeah. Um, I think I remember sitting in Kinko's with you and Mike all night working on the zine. Like I wasn't doing shit, but you guys were working super hard on this thing. Um, it's got an interview with International Noise Conspiracy, which I also took part in. It has also an interview with a one speed bike. Godspeed you Black Emperor. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember at the time they wouldn't I like wonder how I did that. Was it over email? No, email? it was in person, I think, when they when they came to town. Mm. Um that's cool. Yeah, I I I love I love them. Well, because I think they weren't even you weren't even supposed to do it. I remember you telling us as a Godspeed you Black Emperor interview, but you just put that in brackets. Right, because they were like even back, you know, they're remarkably consistent in terms of their uh, relationship with the media. Yeah. But somehow, yeah, I guess I I, I managed to uh, finagle a one-speed bike interview. But yeah, I, I was like super into like that art punk and like the political stuff. 
but this this is like so it, it looks to me like you have some kind of preprint that like this maybe is, we we just made for the tour but it wasn't no, the actual official issue no josh you never got to a real print of this thing because you guys kept trying to fucking add to it and then fuck oh, up i see i uh, no no because no, there's a there's a but there's an issue quick number one is after this i don't think quick number one ever i think quick number one and I have a quick number one. Somewhere. It did come out because I remember I, I remember I've read reviews of quick number one in other zines. But I think it was because you guys kept handing out these preview versions of it. Like, I think the cover changed to the quick cover, but the content okay. was the same. But that, you that's, what, that's what I mean. This is like a preprint almost. This is one of the preprint ones. Yeah. But like, I have another preprint version that was qu called quick too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is like got cut up ruination posters as the cover. This one I remember having a really cool layout. I got like I got Colin to do a bunch of stuff in this one. This one's got a pretty cool layout. It's definitely it's got the uh, the interview once again. Uh, you've got a great interview with uh, International Noise Conspiracy, and I asked them about Final Exit in the interview as well. But this was like this is what transitioned into fucked up, right? Like, because eventually you guys took these articles. Or things that were supposed to be articles and turned them into lyrics. Yeah, I mean, it was it was like very very consciously. I think we were like, or Mike was like, instead of doing a zine, let's do a band now. And like, all of the ideas that we had in the zine will now go into a band. Yeah. Which I don't think I ever would have thought of that, or like made that leap that that was like a thing that you could do. Yeah, because it fucked up was very conceptual in the beginning, right? Like every song was like super thought out um, with you. And well, Mike. it well it was the the things that I remember. Which so one is like we had to choose the name, which we consciously chose, and we were like, this is going to prevent us from selling out. Let's choose a name that prevents us from selling out. And then the other thing was, and by I'm selling gonna, out, we mean going on a tour and signing to like like. <laughs> Like like an indie label that had proper distribution. Yeah, I mean any of the things that we ended up doing. Yeah, yeah. And but then the the other thing, which is also like so ironic now, was the original idea was don't put out any music, don't put out, don't create any garbage because we were like super environmentalist at that point. We were like anything that you put out. Like I remember having conversations. Where we were like vinyl is just fucking garbage like it's just plastic that you put in the world and can't buy it great and you just fucking just destroy the plants so we're not gonna put out anything and then like we've gone on to produce like more <laughs> so much more time. fucking garbage per capita than <laughs> like most, <laughs> most other bands yeah no that okay. definitely definitely um also like you and mike form the band and then you go on a bunch of hardcore road trips I think right like that's where you guys go to that chicago fest you go to the posi numbers where you guys get thrown out for yeah. trying to how do you get what happened at posi numbers so posi numbers was like the the youth crew fest and like at this point we're we're like have transitioned from like youth crew to like anarcho punks so yeah. we're a little bit like we like this music but like we don't like this scene because this scene's like way too like slicked hair and like bro-y and like we're you know we're like kind of like woke in a way you know in a way that like that scene wasn't so we get there we, we drive down to posse numbers me mike and uh our friend lisa and uh we were we had gotten really into this uh splunking idea because there was this 
zine in Toronto called um, Infiltration. Yeah, Infiltration. Yeah. Um, which was a really cool zine. They would just go to explore the city and they would document with photos and then they would write, they publish the photos and like little travelogues of like exploring sewers and abandoned buildings and like the, the abandoned subway station that we eventually played a show in. Um, so we were really into that. So we would like do that around Toronto and we like climb like buildings and stuff like that and like go to abandoned buildings and stuff. And so when we got to Posi numbers, it was in this old like industrial warehouse kind of situation. And we were like, let's go explore this industrial warehouse like before they open the doors. So we were like in this like dusty ass warehouse and uh, we just like got caught by like cops. Like, I guess somebody saw us snuck sneaking in, called the cops. We were like, ran out of the building, but like got intercepted, like in this alleyway by the cops. And we were still like on the, the grounds of the venue. And like, I don't remember who it was, but like they came out and they were like, you guys can't come to the show. You like fucking almost got shut down by like getting these cops called, like the fuck are you doing? Like, and they were also very like, I think I remember them being very, I don't know if it's true. I remember them being super pro cop. Like they were like this. And we just got the vibe that like in Wilkes bar, like the hardcore scene, like everybody's uncle was a cop. <laughs> so we were just like, fuck these people. But then like, so we're banned or whatever. It's like sitting in our car in the parking lot. <laughs> like all so of our, bitter. <laughs> all of our friends from Toronto start showing up like no warning. And like, we see them and they're just like, what are you guys doing out here? Like, yeah. We, we got kicked out of the fest. I don't know if we had like even bought tickets, probably like we were just going to buy them at the door. Um, anyways, yeah. So that was. Did you guys go on the roof too, though? At some point, trying to. I don't know if we go. We're on a roof. I think we're just like in, like on this like abandoned floor, this dusty warehouse. Okay, Mike told me. I remember Mike telling us you guys got on the roof, and that's why you got thrown out. Maybe, maybe. Maybe we were on the. Maybe we're on the roof, and somebody saw us from the from the ground, and then we like, yeah, I have a vague memory. Like ducked down, and then like ran out, (laughs) but they caught us. What also was the deal with the. the ACC with the pizza. Oh, uh, me, uh, me and Mike tried to sneak into the, the uh, Air Canada Center for game seven of a Toronto Maple Leafs Ottawa Senators playoff game. <laughs> and Mike was working at Pizza 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 at the time, which is like the, the shitty Toronto uh, pizza joint. And uh, he had a uniform, which was like, but he only had one, uni- <laughs> one uniform. So like one of us wore the shirt and one of us were like the pants and the hat. <laughs> and we we just were like, we just walked up to the employee's entrance and we like walked, like somebody opens the door and we just like walk in behind that employee and we're just like walking. It's just like, the plan was just like, as soon as we get inside, just keep on walking. Like, you know where you're going and uh, and then just like get inside, right? And, and just get lost in the crowd. And like, I think we, uh, my memories, we were like super close to like the door that was gonna open to the arena. And then like arm on my shoulder and it was just like the security guard. Um, uh, and he was, he was like, yeah, you guys totally would have made it if you chose like not one of the most high stakes, like packed games of the season. Well, cause no warning used to sneak into the ACC for shows right at that time. They, yeah. Like, I mean, those, in. those guys like were more, way more effective criminals than us <laughs> <laughs> at everything. <laughs> You guys, yeah, like I think you had an empty box too, right? You didn't even have a pizza. 
no, no, no. Well, like we didn't have the pizza box because <laughs> we were trying, we were pretending to be pizza, pizza employees who worked at the ACC. Oh, yeah. That was, <laughs> that was, that was the gag. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, eventually uh, the, the zine transitions into the band. You play the sh- two shows and then you take off for the summer. And that's when I come in and I do two shows with fucked up record that demo. And then Mike goes up and meets up with you. And I remember Mike telling me that you guys even saw, cause I think Nathaniel's with you guys too. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember you guys even like go to a house and Jesse Michaels is there from uh, operation Ivy. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I don't know. Me. I don't remember that. I remember you guys telling me that these were all i remember we we rented a we rented a car in california we just like drove around california we went to shows and uh we went to this like one like super like crusty show in the bay and uh and uh kids who were hanging outside of the show had like a pack of salami or like bologna and they were putting the the bologna on our car windshield because i guess that like fucks with the windshield and it like it, it causes it to like like discoloration on the way because they were like who who are the fucking fancy ass motherfuckers with the rental car <laughs> it was like uh, just like a normal like a rental sedan but parked right outside this like super crusty show and uh everybody just like tried to trash our car <laughs> uh, that was like a key show for you guys because i think it like a key tour i mean for you guys like bumming around there because i think it gave you exposure like everything that was happening in America at that time, kind of musically. Yeah. I'm trying to like, I know we went to record stores. We did like, we camped outside. Um, Cause we didn't really, you know, like we didn't have much money. So we did like camp, <laughs> like park the rental car and camp. And then like, I don't remember. Stayed at friends houses. And stuff. I don't remember like, yeah. Even like what sites we saw, like, cause like at that age, like you're not going to sites. You're just kind of like, going to shows and yeah i don't know go i think we went to the beach i think that also was like because mike was super pissed off and bummed out after ruination ended mm. so i think that was like his like you know finding himself journey where he decided he was going to like touring yeah because he, he'd done like some some pretty big long tours he did a big european tour yeah and he in ruination he was he was like the 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 young guy you know like the guy that was being picked on i think and you know yeah he was he was he was the weirdo in that band although that band was full of weirdos yeah and that's the that's like the thing about hardcore that keeps coming up is it's just people with trauma inflicting trauma on people around them so it's like people that were bullied or not cool in a position where they're suddenly cool and they can be the bully and uh it's amazing how that kind of rep repeats itself over and over again in band dynamics and things like that but it seems like it's something with punk that comes up on this show almost yeah, every I, episode now i i do i do remember feeling like cool as a kid like never like never at the shows like never in the within the scene i was like i don't think i'm the cool person within the scene but like just going back to normie world i was like i have i have this special secret and like yeah. this subculture and i was like just so excited that i had this thing and it just made me it made me feel like you know it doesn't matter really what's going on at school you know yeah you know it was an amazing thing to get as a kid and i really hope my kids find something like this for them where it was like 
you know, like people talk about red pill, you know, the red pill, and obviously that's bullshit mm-hmm. and everything with it. But like, it, it was almost like that same idea of stepping out of the matrix. Like when you found punk rock, you were just like, oh, all this high school stuff is bullshit. Like all the hierarchy, all the the games these people play. Like, no, I'm I'm yeah. out of this. Like, I I yeah. know about shit these people couldn't even dream of knowing about now. Yeah, it, it for better for worse, it it gave me this very kind of distanced like this like just certain distance like from which i've viewed the world ever since just like yeah. a little bit of like the world's going on people are doing their things and they're like it's frustrating them and like it's hard for them to like find meaning or whatever and you're just kind of like that's weird how you guys are trying to do that yeah yeah like in, or like permission to create things or to like i don't know just it's it's a it's a it's an amazing place to just kind of like be told that, you know, even if you make bad art, your art matters. And that's art in every way. Like if you, if your photos are blurry and out of focus and people like, there's like eight different images of the same person in that photo, there's a place for it. You know, you can find space for it in this world of punk and hardcore. Yeah. It was, it was super supportive, but it wasn't like smothering, you know? And it was also like critical. it, it didn't really like I don't know I I wonder now like when you create something it's hard to it's hard to not like look at the numbers you know of like the people like paying attention to it liking it whatever yeah and that back then it was like you know it didn't really matter that much to me that I had like hundreds of zines left over like I really didn't feel like a failure it was just like yeah whatever it's like sell, selling a zine and I'll sell them one day yeah yeah, there was no failing in it because it was like it was like a place with expectations so low, you know, yeah. and like like but also expectations, you know, like it was like you don't have to do something well, but you got to do something, you know, like yeah. start a start a shitty band, start a shitty label, start a shitty zine, but start something. And it was uh but then it was also critical too, like it forced you to get better because you know, it did have this built-in, you know, judgment system where you would be reviewed in other people's zines. Yeah, you would. Re- yeah, you'd review stuff. You <laughs> would review your zine. People would take you down. This yeah. thing sucks. Yeah. This person's an idiot for what they wrote, and it and it it made you want to be better in the process. Yeah. I'll show them the next one, and then fucked up, man. Then we take over. We, we do our thing. Yeah, yeah. Then, then let's see. What happened next? Then we, then we, uh, you came back we, and as we came back, we started writing No Pass Wrong. Yeah. Did we play? I thought we had this, all the songs of the Haymaker split first before we started doing No Pass Wrong. It just like worked yeah, out. Yeah. I, I think that those songs were all written, but like we didn't, we hadn't finished them or something or like yeah. they didn't make sense because we were, got really into the two song seven inch and those songs didn't really make sense on like a two song seven inch because they weren't like anthemic enough did we record because uh, we went to blue tilt studios right uh cat piss cat piss studios as it was yeah. infamously referred to um did we record no passer on there yeah i don't know i have the worst memory for like what we did at which place I'm trying to remember that one but i think we did because i remember us being there uh i remember police we definitely recorded with um john drew 
at yeah. Signal the Noise. Yeah. Because that's where I was like, oh, shit, we're in a real band. That was a real step up. Yeah. Even though Passeron, I think, was like, I was shocked at there was like a response to it. I don't know about you, but I was just like, I remember Max from Rock and Roll giving it a good review. And they had given the demo a pretty good review, too, which was just blew my mind. Like, that's the other thing. Punk is no other place is accessible like that where you can just like record a demo and send it to the coolest publication and and kind of like the the publication and they'll review it yeah i i my memory is getting like a really glowing review for the police seven inch in maximum rock and roll yeah and and feeling like ooh, like oh this is like people are people are really digging this like it was like making like top 10 lists and stuff like that i think even like with no passer on i remember bruce roars putting his column and uh they, they they wrote about it and stuff like that like that was a that was that was a huge moment for me because it was like max rock and roll was just that was it right that was the end all and be all and to be like in a band that was a recording like it felt so different than any other band because i've been in so many bands that just like just nothing happened you know it was weird like fucked up was was kind of driven like mike was driven from the start with this thing in like a real real yeah i i i remember like just not really being i think because i was like really like like political like a political kid at that time for me like the band's success wasn't that important to me because i was just like that's not what's like important to the world or something Mm -hmm. so i was like happy and like riding it and like always like party to everything but i don't feel like i was ever i was like the driving force at that time no i I think long for the ride it was Mike. It was definitely, I think, for for like I, I think I was a lot more present in the in the running of things in the beginning. Um, but it was definitely Mike that was like, you know, and I think having Jonah too, like Mike, and then having Jonah as someone that was like, you know, all already kind of doing bands that were recording, so he knew Jesse and Jesse could record us or. Yeah. you know i just remember being you know, being so much fun like the like tours that we do on like the east coast in the states like with the ones with, like 14 or fight like it was like so much fun it's just like totally yeah. like a horizon expanding tours for me yeah some of those early tours were uh amazing because it was it was like i had wanted to be part of that world for so long you know like i wanted to be playing shows with all these bands that i loved you know and and then to finally be out there and on the road and i think also looking back on it now you know historically it was an amazing period for punk and hardcore because like you know it was kind of like post mental i guess in boston but like you had mind eraser you had cold world you had um you know sex fit a little bit later on Iron Age a little bit later on, um, you know, like it really was like a, a period of like a lot of really cool bands popping up, look back and laugh. Like we would go and play with great bands in yeah. on those tours. Yeah. And, and, and there was like, and when you name all those bands, I just like always map them to the geography. It was like, it was very like tied to like the Texas scene, with like Seattle scene, the Chicago scene, Boston scene. 
like dominated by these bands in our minds yeah no they and they were right like and it's it's amazing now when you kind of like we were right you know like you look back on these bands like people talk about these bands with reverence in a lot of cases because a lot of these bands were you know uh, interesting bands that took this thing in kind of like a new direction you know and and before like a like before a wave kind of hit hit and especially now like you know turnstile was on tv last night like hardcore is definitely in a different place than it was at that point england look at england like remember going to england for the first time yeah england was england was england was different because they felt like they were like they they could embrace in a bit more like a mainstream way like hardcore there was that side yeah if if you could like yeah i guess we that wasn't actually until probably like three or four years after we went there for the first time yeah and like even when even when that stuff started happening it was like the diy hardcore stuff was so different you know and now it's like there's so many bands that are coming out of there it's like it's such an amazing place for music these days um yeah that first that first england tour was tour where for some reason we booked almost two shows a day it was insane (laughs) we played like 26 cities in england in like 16 days for some reason it was nuts. We'd like get to a place and every place was on the third floor. Every yeah. show was three floors lo- loaded. And we had uh we had drivers that did not want to help us. <laughs> no, and it was like there was never a manager making us do this stuff. It was no. always it was always our own initiative. Every Yeah. Like let's play a let's do like two shows a, a day. I think that also made me a little crazy. It at did, the time, it made, it made you angry. Some made me too. angry. You're like, why the, why the fuck are we doing two shows a day? And nobody, made, nobody could give you a good reason. Well, and I didn't understand till, uh, you know, doing the podcast definitely has given me a lot more perspective on it. But like meeting Gordowney and talking to Gordowney about like being a lead singer and just like the difference between like obviously you don't have to have the, uh, especially in my case the uh, virtuosity of an instrument but what you do have to deal with is the fact that mentally it's going to affect you differently than it's going to affect everyone else in the band because yeah you, you have to just like kind of be present that whole time yeah 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 you can't can't kind of just tune out and go through the motions it's definitely a lot more apparent if you try to do that yeah and i think it's taken me this long into the band to get to a point where i think i can finally be a decent human being to be on the road with you know and i've, I've apologized to you guys and I'll, I'll like continue to apologize to everyone in the band for the way i acted and the way i treated people but it was like i just kind of look at my entire run in the band as this like prolonged nervous breakdown well god willing we'll get back out there one day and, uh... <laughs> we'll see yeah maybe maybe one day josh um well i've kept you forever buddy and i could talk to you much longer but uh you know we both have to get up tomorrow morning and and get on with our family lives um but uh would you come back for a part two at some point yeah definitely let's do it all right all right josh well thanks for coming on buddy it's great
Thank you, Josh, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Josh will be back for a part two at some point in the near future. But who knows when. Speaking of near future, coming up in a few short days to... Uh, ostensibly, this was the plan was that we were going to talk about Year of the Horse, but we end up just sort of just rambling on incoherently for a long time. Jonah and Mike will be coming on for a splits and that'll be the next episode that'll be coming out in a few short days. And, and that is that I'm excited for you to hear that. It's a, it's a doozy, but you know, we're wrapping up the year. So why not do something a little self-indulgent, uh, pick up those fucked up records. And, uh, that's that we, we we're supposed to be going on tour, but I don't know where that's going. So we will see. We will see where that's going. In the meantime, pick up the records and, you know, just play them through uh, rough speakers and, and uh, you know, be like being like a live experience just in your house. You know, use your imagination. All right. That is it for the show. Thank you for listening. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths or different ethnicities or just to stop all this violence and hatred because these aren't political issues, you know? Like, this isn't a political thing we're talking about here. This is just basic human rights shit. So get involved in organizations that are doing positive work and try and affect some positive change in this world, you know? We, we can do it. You and me will make the difference as they say, uh, go out there and start your own culture. Anyone can do this shit. Start a band, start a fanzine. Anyone can do it. I promise you. And it'll help your mental health. Speaking of helping mental health, try meditating, try, you know, working on breathing stuff. I didn't believe in it and now it's working for me. So who knows? Maybe it'll work for you. Uh, and that is it. Uh, sign your organ donor cards and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.